Last week, we heard from an attorney on how the justice system views bullying. This week, we get to hear from a lady who helped write her state anti-bullying laws. So we're going to hit that music and get started. Joining me this week is Barbara Coloroso. Barbara, thank you so much for coming on to my podcast. Tim, thank you for asking me to talk on such a very important topic that affects parents, educators, and most of all, students. Yes, and from my understanding, you help write your own state laws for anti-bullying. Can you tell us about that process, how you got involved in that process to begin with, and we'll go from there. The law was developed originally shortly after the shootings at Columbine High School in my own community, and it was just a shot in the dark, and it has been revised once, and I had written between that time and the first revision my international bestseller, The Bully, The Bullied, and The Not-So-Innocent Bystander, about breaking the cycle of violence and creating more deeply caring communities. So when it came up for a revision, which was both a, a which was a bipartisan uh, deal in our state, which is hard to do, I was asked to be on the advisory committee for that. We had school district personnel, parents, and professionals in the field, as well as the legislators, um, and we had a lot of back and forth. But I brought to them the perspective of what bullying is and what it is not. What was that back and forth process on this issue? Well, the back and forth was, it's not bullying, it's just a conflict. And we needed to define it in such a way that people understood there's a huge difference between normal, natural, and necessary conflict and bullying. Normal, natural, and necessary conflict, we have to help kids resolve. Bullying, we must stop, hold the kids doing the mean and cruel behaviors accountable, support the persons who has been targeted, and help them stand up in other situations to it, and invite, most importantly, invite other kids, rather than joining with the bully to go along to get along, to invite them to be witness resistors and defenders, to stand up, speak out, step in, do the right thing. And we wanted that embodied in the law, as well as the, the three big Ps. What are the policies of anti-bullying in your school district? What are the procedures that are effective? For all three, the bully, the bully, the not-so-innocent bystanders, and how do we support those who have been targeted? And how do we invite young people to be the advocates in their own schools to help break this cycle. Uh, so we had to have strong anti-bullying policies, procedures in place, and most importantly, not anti-bullying programs. I'm not a real fan of that. But programs that work against the three most virulent agents ripping apart the fabric of our humanity, hating other human beings with utter contempt, which is what bullying is about, utter contempt for another human being, hoarding that me, mine, and more uh, sense instead of us, ours, and enough, and harming through lying and cheating and stealing, which severs relationships and destroys a person's sense of self. So what are the antidotes to that? Care deeply, share generously, help willingly. So from preschool on, we want to not only teach our young people about what bullying is, what it isn't, how you can learn to step in, how you can identify 
procedures that will help you as an individual, be you a preschooler or a high schooler, to be able to help stop it. The targeted kid can't do it alone. Yeah. And it can't always be adults because kids tend to do it under the radar. So to incorporate that in the law was difficult when you're dealing with uh, so many different people and in different communities. Because the biggest thing in the state law is to hold people accountable. And that includes uh, superintendents, school boards, principals, teachers, playground monitors, bus drivers accountable when they see it, they must do something. So what was their definition of conflict before they revised it? Well, the definition of conflict pretty much stayed the same. Okay. It's two kids uh, or a group of kids uh, upset, probably mutual feelings and the like. And what you do when there's a conflict is teach kids to handle it nonviolently. The problem is People were viewing home, at home, at school, and on the play yard, viewing anything that happened between kids as conflict, and then trying to use very good, well-established conflict resolution tools. Well, that works if there's a conflict. Yeah. It does not work if there's bullying. So let's first look at what bullying is. It's a conscious, willful, deliberate, hostile activity intended to harm, where the perpetrators get pleasure yep. from pain. Let's look at a home scene here. Two kids fighting over a TV program. That is so normal. And you can use conflict resolution tools to help young people learn what do you do if you both want a different program. Now, there are three kinds of families, brick wall, jellyfish, and backbone. The brick wall says, stop it, stop it, stop it. Turn that set off. Nobody's watching it. The adult solves it. Doesn't help kids solve it. Jellyfish parents, uh, oh, please, your brothers and sisters, you're supposed to love one another. Don't do this to me. Nobody's solving it. Or a backbone. If you look at that backbone, there's flexibility. And you and I have to be flexible when we're working with or raising young people. But it also gives them an environment that's conducive to creative, constructive, and responsible activity you don't get from a jellyfish. Yeah. So we want to be the backbone parent. The backbone parent walks in, turns the set off. And says to the two kids as they take the remote, you're fighting. I always like to tell kids what they're doing. You may both turn this setback on as soon as you both have a plan. Now, what do I need? A plan. They never say it nicely. Oh, dad, we need a plan. So don't count on it. But one of three things will happen. They'll share, both get up and leave it or come up with a plan they both can live with. It doesn't matter if you're five or 15. Those are ways to solve conflicts, and we're giving them the tools to do it. Now, if one says, I'm going to beat you over the head, you say, that's not a good plan, not a good plan. We are there with our own wisdom to help young people figure it out. But if one says, I'm going to beat you over the head, you say, you know, that's not a good plan. I know you can come up with a better one. But if one says, you let me watch this program today, you can have two tomorrow. And the younger one says, okay, I don't say to the older one, that's not fair. <laughs> Knowing that the older one knows and I know there's nothing on on Saturday. It's not the teachable moment yet. It comes when the little one says, but there's nothing on today. It's not fair. And then I say, I noticed you're giving in to your big brother. Would you like to learn a few good lines? And you teach them the lines. Like, I'm willing to let you watch this program today. If I can have one on Monday, one on Tuesday, and I want it writing. We have taught them to handle the conflict. Yeah. However, as a parent, you walk in. And the older daughter 
has the younger son's up arm up the back. And we're not talking to yoga pose. Kids screaming in pain. You rush in there, and as soon as your daughter sees you, she drops her brother's arm and starts comforting him. And we say, why are you screaming like that? And the little one looks at his sister and knows right then, if he says anything, since bullying happens under the radar of adults, he's going to be in a heap of lot of trouble when you're not around. He also knows by the look on his sister's face, because bullying has to do with intimidation, yeah. that he will be in a heap of lot of trouble when you walk out the door. And so he says, oh, nothing, mom, nothing. Well, then quit screaming. You and I have just retargeted that poor target. Yeah. But step back a moment. When you walked in there, you saw something you wished you hadn't seen. You saw your daughter smile before she saw you. She wasn't upset about a TV program. She was getting pleasure from hurting her younger brother. It's that smirk that gives it away. Yeah. And then we know that this is not a conflict. This is mean and cruel behavior. And you do not put the two of them down and say, let's be nice. You don't take two girls when one comes up and says, this girl called me a gross name, spread an ugly rumor online, and tripped me in the hallway. We don't use conflict resolution tools for that. We don't sit the two down and say, let's be nice. Let's work this out. Because you know who will be nice? The bully. And they'll have a smile on their face and say, oh, I'm so sorry you were offended. I didn't know you were so sensitive. I won't ever do it again. And the other girl sitting there like the Dixie Chicks. I'm not ready to make nice. Because she knows full well, as soon as you get up and they're left alone, that girl's going to target her again. So we have to be able to look at the difference between bullying and conflict and know that you cannot use conflict resolution tools to fix bullying. And bullying is that conscious, willful, deliberate, hostile activity intended to harm. And there are four ways to do it and three means. And this is where my involvement, not only in my own state law, but the law in Texas for cyberbullying came in. The four ways, it can be a one-time event. I'll bet some of the audience can look at their bullying definitions for their schools and see the old definition that says, must be continuous and repeated over time. I have fought since 2000 to get into state laws and provincial laws throughout the world that it can be a one-time significant event. Don't you think a kid's head swirled in the toilet ought to count? We shouldn't have to wait for it to happen twice. A young person called a gross racial or sexual term shouldn't have to happen continuously before we stop it. A young person ostracized online with ugly rumor spread once is enough. So it can be a one-time significant event. The second way is the most common continuous and repeated over time, often under the radar of adults. I think people get confused of being rude, like calling someone a jerk because they're like annoyed with them. Yeah. Versus talk about sexual harassment, really trying to say something to hurt them on purpose. Yes. Where, you know, being rude is like, you don't really say it to be mean. You just say it because you're just annoyed with probably yourself. There's a big difference. It is a conscious, willful, deliberate activity intended to hurt. Yep. Uh, and that's one of the biggest keys. And it can be a one-time event. It can be continuous and repeated. It can be hazing. Hazing by its nature is bullying. And then the one all of us have to deal with in today's world, online and offline bullying, 
where um, it's cyber technology enhanced or digital enhanced bullying. We used to say the online world and the real world. That's not true anymore for this generation. It's online, offline have merged in the good things and in the mean and cruel behaviors to amplify both. It is the real world for them. And there are three ways we can do it, verbal, physical, and social. We used to call it relational in my day, but it's social. Shunning, rumor, gossip, and exclusion. And it's high time we saw that for what it is. And we need to look at the characteristics of bullying. It's, there is always, without exception, an imbalance of power. Whether it's size, number, status, position, wealth, there is always an imbalance of power. There is always in bullying an intent to harm. Two kids getting in a fisticuff might hurt one another, but they didn't intend to harm the other person. They just wanted that remote back or the soccer ball back. But in bullying, that's that smirk. There's an intent to harm. There's also, just like the 10-year-old looking at her younger brother, a threat for more of it to happen soon. And that threat, if we do not address that, on that first time, that can grow into terror. And terror is an end in itself. You'll have kids then who are terrorized to go to school, to go to the, in the bathrooms, uh, to go um, in, on the bus, to be out on the playground, that it's going to happen again. That terror is what can totally debilitate a young person who doesn't know when it's coming or where it's coming from. With the Colorado state law, if a child reports bullying, what is the procedure for that teacher? I'll give you an example. You're, I'm, I'm in English class, and a young girl calls another girl a gross sexual term or racial term. I don't say, what did you say? Because then they repeat it. And I don't dismiss it. Yep. I stop dead in my tracks. Silence is one of your most powerful tools as an educator. And I walk over toward the kid that made the comment. All the other kids in English class, I've taught high school English, who aren't asleep are watching. I walk up to the kid, lower my voice, and say, that was mean, that was cruel, and this is safe harbor for every kid in this classroom. The girl next to the girl who did the name calling or shaming knows that I'm on her side, that I'm an advocate for her. I don't have to say a word. I nailed the person that did it. I didn't ask him why, didn't want an excuse. That was mean and cruel. And this is safe harbor for every child in this classroom. I need to see you after class. Now, all the other kids know what's going to happen because I taught them what's going to happen. At the end of class, I say to the kid who called the other girl a gross name, you have a job to do. It's three R's. It's called restorative justice. It's different than restorative circles for conflict. Restitution, resolution, and reconciliation. In other words, you have to own what you did, figure out how you're going to keep it from happening again. And I do not want to hear you won't do it again because that's not what you're going to do. That's what you won't do. And then how can you heal with the person you've harmed? And then I say to that girl, what time do your folks get home? Six, you have till seven to tell them first. I like to give them 
a chance to go home and do the homework and wash the dishes and walk the dog, unless they dunk the kid's head in the toilet, in which case we deal with it right away. But I also have an obligation under our state and many states today that I have to report that to my administrator. And that's smart because that same girl may have been targeting this other girl in four other classes. I don't know that. Or this same girl has been targeting several other girls. I don't know that, but the administrator does. And we know if we've got a huge problem to deal with or one that can be handled in the classroom. Later in that day, I go up to the girl who was targeted and I say to her, I'm so sorry this happened on my watch. I want you to know the other girls being held accountable. But I also want to know that I'm here for you. And there are people you can tell. The sad thing is, from middle school on, so many young people will roll their eyes and say, eh, it's been happening to me since I was in first grade. That's what I go, time out, time out, talk to me about this. And then I say, let's go visit the counselor. I'm the English teacher. I care deeply about this young girl. But she needs more if she has begun to believe that this is just what has to happen in life to her, that she needs a little bit more. But I also say to her in a little different way, I say, would you like me to tell your parents first or would you like to tell your parents first? Your parents need to know. Wouldn't you want as a parent to know your kid's calling somebody a gross name or that she was the target of that attack? And so then we go through the the. Restorative practices. Little ones, I do that for, you know, little girls can target other little girls at four and a half. And we say, oh, that's just conflict. No, no, not, you can't sit with us. We don't like you. You stink. Uh uh-uh. uh, that's got to be stopped. Yep. So it's restorative practices. Uh, it's much more involved if it's sexual or racial, because that cuts at the core of who a person is. Um, and we need to, work with a, a, a student on that, but also with the entire school community. Is there a student and teacher ratio in Colorado? Uh, supposed to be, <laughs> but with a shortage of okay. teachers and the like, it's, it's edging up. I like to see in the lower grades, if we can have a smaller ratio uh, with our young people, then we can not only give them a strong academic foundation, but an ethical foundation. You see, I want, whether your kid is five years old or 15, when the high-status social bully, which is a bully we often dismiss, the high-status social bully says to all the other girls, I don't like the new girl. You want to be in my group? Don't eat lunch with her. I want your daughter to be the one to say, that's mean, that's cruel, and have the courage to go sit next to the new girl. Because she will do that at cost, whether she's five or 15. She'll probably get, oh, Miss Goody Two-Shoes or your neck. And your young boys in the locker room, when the high-status social bully says, look at that kid over there, different skin color, religion, gender, physical or mental ability, the big five for hate crimes. What makes a hate crime different than any other crime? It's criminal bullying. Let's go mess him up. I want your kid to be the one to say, no. He's not such a bad kid. Back off. Leave him alone. And he'll probably get, what are you, chicken? What do you just like him? But you and I, if we walk our talk and talk our walk, if we look at how we treat other human beings and model it for our own children, it's not just walk the talk, but talk the walk and talk to them about 
honoring the humanity of another person. I say to kids, you don't have to like every kid in this classroom. You must honor their humanity and care deeply about them. Caring deeply doesn't mean you like them, but it means you're not going to cause them harm and you're willing to step in when they're in pain. Developing that sense of compassion. I like how you described how you would handle that comment, that bully, right away. I feel today, like you said, we're short stats on teachers. I feel like teachers don't have time to do all that extra. Do you know how long that took? Not very long. And the more you do it, and the, and the kids get to know that in kids need, kids even know which parent to ask for what. They know what teachers they can get away with stuff in. And if kids know right away yeah. in my classroom that I will honor you and, and we, I expect you to honor everyone in this classroom. Now, there's one thing I didn't say. In the middle of that class, after the kid called another kid a name, I purposely call on the girl who did the name calling. I want her to know she's not a bad kid. What she did was not right. So I call on her in a very friendly, welcoming way with an answer she can give. And there are people into heavy behavior mod, which I am not, who would say, well, you're rewarding her. No, I want her to know that she can change. She can rewrite her script. She does not have to play the role. And these are only roles kids are playing. You don't have to play this role of a bully. Some of those kids who are bullies are also coming from a rough household, too. They can exactly. be being treated bad at home or bad from another kid in school. One of the things we, we have not called enough attention to, and you brought it up right here, Volpe did a 20-year study in England, first one ever done, longitudinal study of sibling bullying. And the, for the most part, it was treated as conflict at home. The problem with sibling bullying, if you are bullied by your siblings, statistically, we now know that you are at higher risk for being targeted at school because you already are in posture, in mindset, or weakened. You are at higher risk for drug abuse, self-harm, and suicide. And so we have to be sure that what's going on in our own households is not mean and cruel behavior. That when one kid says, oh, I was just joking, when they target their sibling's body, their shape, their weight, because weight-based bullying is a thing today, or uh, the fact that they stutter or have a disability of some kind, we have to nail that. That is not conflict. That is mean and cruel. You brought back, you said something earlier that you're not a big fan of anti-bullying programs. Can you tell me more about that? Yes, I really think what we need to do is make sure we have good policy, good procedures in place, and that our teachers know it, our aides know it, the lunchroom people know it, the bus drivers know it, and know that they'll get support if they bring a child in who's called somebody a gross name on the bus, that they will be supported in reporting that, and that they will be supported if they have the kids who are targeting other kids sitting at the front of the bus, and the targeted kid can sit in the back and feel safe. Uh, Those kinds of things, so letting them know that. So it's all of us in this together. I don't want to dump an anti-bullying program in for the month of October, anti-bullying month, and say, oh, we're done. Uh, No, it's an ongoing process of in our curriculum, in our everyday life in the classroom, that we teach kids to care deeply about one another, to share generously of their own talents 
and to recognize the talents and liabilities of others and to help willingly. Those are the antidotes to hating, hoarding, and harming. That is not a curriculum. That is infusing the curriculum with a sense uh, that we care deeply about one another. And the more we care about one another and we do those kinds of things, the less likely there is to be bullying. Won't stop it totally, but we have the tools to handle it right there. Uh, it's, a, it's a matter of, first of all, recognizing what it is and then making sure that we have a policy that states we're not tolerating it and then procedures in place. Then that program that we have is in math and reading and science, uh, and we can infuse with stories about people who did stand up and speak out for others, things that are happening today, but also stories about uh, people in our history who have stood up for others at cost to themselves, and including very young people. Uh, our kids need to hear that. I'm a former nun, obviously former with a husband and three kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I studied theology and philosophy. And Martin Buber said it so beautifully. He said, I am I and you are thou. And we have a common humanity. I'm unique and you're unique. And we have this commonality. And in that commonality, we have to recognize that we can't have just commonality. We have to have the I and the thou. In bullying, I'm an I and you're an it. That's that contempt I talked yeah. about at the very beginning, the othering of others. The um, I work in Rwanda with orphans from the 94 genocide, where in 100 days, almost a million human beings were macheted to death um, because they were viewed as cockroaches. Uh, Armenians were considered dogs. Jews were considered vermin and bacteria eating at the fabric of our society. Uh, Cambodians were worms. Rohingya today are called fleas. That's why we cannot tolerate children calling one another ugly, gross names, because that is step one in the dehumanization process. And the premise of all of my work is that it's a short walk from hateful rhetoric to hate-fueled crimes to crimes against humanity. Uh, it's yeah. no giant leap. And we got to recognize that we may be perhaps on a bullet train here with that, and that we have got to stop in its tracks in our homes, our schools, and our community. Any sense of othering people, any sense of treating another human being with contempt. Because once I have contempt for you, I can do anything to you and not feel any shame or compassion. I can take a Matthew Shepard, beat him up, tie him to a fence post, lead him to die. And when those two people were arrested, they said, yeah, but he was gay. Take a James Byrd, Jasper, Texas, drag him on the back of a pickup. When those three young men were arrested, they said, yeah, but he was black. Renee Vert, 15 years old, 100 kids knew about her death. 25 of her normal classmates knew that, they, that these three girls had hurt her and broke her arm before they drowned her. And when the three girls were in court, they said, wow, she was brown and ugly and fat, I didn't like her. And another girl said, I couldn't stand the sound of her voice. And another girl said, well, I was only doing what they told me to do, the not so innocent bystander. But there were 25 other not so innocent bystanders who may have felt awful about what's happened, but didn't stop it. Where do these kids learn this stuff from? Oh, 
How do you learn to hate somebody? You have to be taught. There's an old song from South Pacific, the musical. You have to be carefully taught to hate before you're six, seven, or eight. To hate the people your relatives hate. Bullying is a learned behavior. You have to be taught to other somebody. You have to be taught that they're so different that they don't count. And so I ask you and anybody listening, how do you treat hired help? How do you treat somebody moving through the grocery store a little slower than you'd like them to? How do you treat the new neighbor who looks different, speaks a different language as their first language, maybe eats different kinds of foods, dresses differently, has a different faith tradition? Your children are watching. Um, and, yeah. and how do you treat the bigoted relative at the family gathering? We all have bigoted relatives somewhere on the family tree. Some just aren't on the branches. They're right there at the dinner table, spewing bigoted comments, thinly disguised as jokes. Can your children see you say, that was racist, or that was sexist, or I'm bothered by that, when all the other relatives roll their eyes and say, what, can't you take a joke? Not that kind. And you know you've had an impact when you walk back in the dining room and everybody shuts up. Or your mother comes to you very angry. The uncle didn't spoil the dinner, you did, because you called him on it. And look, your uncle's old. We have to excuse it. Uh-uh. I'm 76. Age is never an excuse for bigotry and intolerance ever. Can you then, when your mother is very upset with you in front of your children, say, Mom, I don't want my kids to ever believe that anyone at any age should say those kinds of things. Chances of your son or daughter standing up for somebody at school has been greatly increased. Do you invite kids who are loners to your home? You know, there are four antidotes to bullying. One is a strong sense of self. And I didn't say self-esteem. It's that I recognize the I, thou, and our common humanity in me. The second is being a good friend. We have to teach young people today what friendship really means. And then having a good friend. Bullies are cowards. They're not ignorant. They pick on people they know they can get. And that's typically somebody who's Always the weakest. Always the weakest person. Yeah. Alone, too, all by themselves. And then we have to teach our young people how to get in a group and know when to get out. When all the other kids are going along to get along with the bully, and they will ostracize a girl from the lunchroom, I want your son or daughter to know that there are things you can do because you feel it. That person matters. And to go sit next to her. The interesting thing is if you go sit next to her, yes, the kid who was bullying may again target you. Oh, yeah, look at you. You're sitting next to her. But other girls who were going along to get along, their guts didn't speak to them very comfortably and saying, this is not right. And when they see somebody standing up, the chances of them sitting with that other girl at lunch tomorrow has been increased or willing to step in for the other little boy someplace else. So it's, it's, that's how we create um, a, a community of caring. A community of deep caring has very little bullying. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's totally eliminated, <laughs> but very little. And the others are standing up for the kid. I don't like to talk about politics at all, but I feel like news, what you hear in the media about certain sides, the Democrat, Republican, whatever, it doesn't help having kids seeing that type of stuff. Um, we gonna- are swimming in a toxic 
climate today of, of mean and cruel. And we have got to say, not here. We have to say to our children, how do you discern mean and cruel from an opinion that you might have? It, you're entitled to an opinion. You're not entitled to be mean and cruel to another human being. You're not entitled to other somebody. And that comes from our homes and our schools. And people say, well, if they, they're allowed to bully at home, what do we do at school? I've always said as a teacher, when they walk through that classroom door, I have them for five hours. That's longer than most other people will be seeing them when they're not attached to their tools or parents are attached. I can make a difference. And kids are looking for that difference. Somebody to say, I believe in you. I trust in you. I know you can handle this. You're listened to, cared for, and very important to me. I don't care where a kid comes from. Dad's an alcoholic. Mother has an interesting occupation. Brother's been in jail. Every kid walking through that door matters. And they have to believe that. That's the climate that we can create in our schools rather than imposing a program on them. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Can you quickly explain right now, very brief, how if I came to you saying, Michael called me a bad name, what happens? It, like with, with the current Colorado State law, how is that handled? Okay, if, the if I didn't see it, if a kid yep, comes dripping in urine, they've been dumped in a toilet, I deal with it. But if a child's been yep. called a gross name and they come up to me, I say, that was horrible. That was mean. That was cruel. I call it what it is. And I'm sorry that happened to you. And tell you what, I don't want you retaliated against for telling me. I promise you, nobody will know you told me but I'm going to talk to the other teachers and we're going to watch that girl like a hawk and we will catch her again. I also want you to know that when someone calls you that kind of name, you can roll your shoulders around and down and stand strong, not tall. That's a bias against short, but stand strong and say to her, that was mean and cruel. I don't need this. I'm out of here. It takes the oomph out of it. That was, yeah. And not your mean and cruel. That was mean and cruel. I don't need this. I'm out of here. They're less likely to retarget the person, but I also want them to tell. And I also say to them, look, if you're really uncomfortable in a class and somebody's even using their eyes uh, to be mean and cruel to you or shunning you by turning their backs or rolling their eyes, you can always say that that was mean and cruel. Don't have to explain what it is. They know. And get up and sit in another seat. You don't have to take abuse. And then let somebody know. It tends to happen under the radar of adults. Um, and so yeah. we like to handle it first in the classroom. But I always need to let a principal know that I'm handling it. And that's the when they might say, oh, you know what? She's done that to three other kids. I'd like to take over from here. I'll back you up. Are all the teachers in Colorado trained? With this procedure? Uh, not so much. That we've now got the law in place. And now there are, uh, and it just came in place last uh, June, just signed into law, the new reporting. Um, we have a safe to tell that was awful right after Columbine. And it's an amazing program now that every school uses where kids can report anonymously they for themselves or for others. There's a response team immediately. If a parent 
talks to a school uh, administrator or teacher and they don't feel that it's been adequately addressed, they always can go the next step. And that next step may be uh, a committee that's set up. Some districts actually have a committee or the board itself. We have one district in our state right now being investigated by the federal uh, civil uh, rights division of the education department because they failed to deal with kids who are of certain racial identity to deal with the horrible targeting of them. So it can reach up to the civil rights. If it's sexual or racial, it can reach that point. So that's called a hate crime. I mean, it sounds like Colorado has a great anti-bullying policy just put in place. How come this is not made into like a national level? Why does it have to be by state? It is a state mandate because our education is state mandated. However, if anybody's wondering how they can get involved in helping with their state laws, if they go to stopbullying.gov, that's our government website, they have actually listed every state and how they have policies, procedures, and programs in place or not, and what their actual law is. And if you feel very concerned about what's going on in your own state, there is nothing to say you can't get actively involved, but know what's in your state and know which representatives you could go to and then do it. Make that phone call and say, I want to be involved. How do you know which person to go to? Well, if you look at your state, You look at representatives that may have originally um, sponsored that bill, uh, and it's usually a bipartisan. Uh, I helped in Texas with the cyber one, and they said, well, it won't be bipartisan. It was. Both groups were so passionate about what had happened to a young boy who had been relentlessly targeted on and offline and killed himself. Uh, It's called David's Law. David is the one who killed himself. And It was horrible, the kind of targeting he received. And he was ashamed to tell anybody uh, because when he did tell, nothing was done. And so he's internalized all that, which leads me to the what's so important is what to do if your kid has been targeted. Don't minimize, rationalize, explain it away. Oh, boys be boys. Girls just want to be mean. Don't rush in to solve it. You will not empower your own child. Be there with them to support them, but they need to to be the one to help get this fixed. Don't tell them to ignore or avoid. We tell kids to do that all the time. But you can't ignore being taunted every day, being tripped in the hallways, being called names online. So to ask a child to ignore, Lakoff wrote the book, Don't Think of the Elephant. What did you just think of an elephant? So you don't (laughs) tell them. Instead, you say to them, if somebody's calling you a gross name and you can't get the words out or it hurts so bad, you can put your hand up. Don't say stop. You don't tell a bully what to do. But you put your hand up saying you're defending yourself. Turn and walk away and say to yourself, I'm a decent, caring human being. She's sure getting her needs met in a lousy way. Putting it back on the person doing the harming. Um, that's why I call yeah. persons that are targeted targets. That means somebody aimed at you. It's not your fault. Are there times you want to work with a child because they're ADHD? I'm a special ed teacher. ADHD, have Asperger's, misses social cues? Yes, but nothing justifies mean, absolutely nothing. And then don't confront the bully or the bully's parents alone. It tends to run in the family. 
So what do you do? You say to a child, I hear you. I'm here for you. I believe you. You're not in this alone. It's not your fault. There are things you can do, and this is where we empower them. I notice you have Kato Karate, you know, self-defense. There's a difference between an offensive move where you're punching somebody up and a defensive move. And so I want to teach them to defend themselves. And since verbal bullying is the most common, to be able to come back with good lines. And if they can't say them themselves, they can say them to underneath their breath as they walk away yeah. and know that they, there is someone they can report it to. Barbara, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure. coming on our podcast. And if people want to get in touch with you, can you go ahead and give us your info again? Yes. It's, um, our website is kidsareworthit.com. And our email is info.kidsareworthit at gmail.com. Barbara, thank you so much. And thank you, Tim. It's been a real pleasure. And for myself, you can always find us at our very own website, which is www.breakingbullying.com. You can also reach out to us at our email address. If you have a story of your own bullying to share, or for whatever reason you want to get a hold of us, our email address is breakbullyinghere at gmail.com. Now, if you're a victim of bullying and you don't know where to turn, there is online resources to help you. The first is the government's very own anti-bullying website, and the address is www.stopbullying.gov. And other online resource is www.pacer.org backslash bullying. Now, if you have had thoughts of suicide or of self-harm, we implore you to stop. Reach out to the National Suicide Hotline. That number is very simple. It's 988. I'm Tim Flynn, and thank you for listening. And we will be back next week to continue the conversation to break the silence on bullying.